Are you tired of ticket fees? Pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more. Go to TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets. Guaranteed seats, no fees. TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Halitech Hall. Good morning, Aaron. Doing well. It's Super Bowl week, finally. So the big game is just a few days away. Uh, for those listeners that don't know, we normally record Wednesday morning. So uh, we are four days away from Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, we got a lot to talk about on today's show uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, our newest bear that just got signed over the last uh, 10, 12 hours. Uh, my partner, uh, none other than Double uh, A, has uh, shared a few tweets over the this past week about uh, our quarterback. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit in depth about the two coaches that we hired specifically to help Mitch, uh, and that's Filippo and Laser. And what some guys at the Pro Bowl had to say about those two coaches. And then we have a, an, a, one of the most engaging guests we've ever had on our show. Uh, his name is Jeff Burkus. He goes by at GridironBorn uh, on Twitter. He's a writer and another historian like Jack Silverstein is for the Windy City Gridiron. And he has an article, uh, a series of articles that are going over the greatest bears of all time, going all the way back to the very first year when they were the Decatur Staley's. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, this first episode we taped a couple of days ago, and it's just fascinating. You need to go to Whitney City Gridiron and look this up. Uh, it's called the Bears Championship Belt Series. And he has an illustrator at Windy City Gridiron uh, that goes by the handle Whiskey Ranger. Uh, and his, his graphics are absolutely amazing. So that said, we've got a great show for you. And then we'll cap it all off with a little bit of a preview uh, with Aaron and my thoughts on the big game coming up on Sunday. So, Aaron, we got a new, new bear in the fold. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Uh, sure. His name is Trey Roberson, uh, most recently uh, playing in Calgary uh, with the Calgary Stampeders. Um, the, uh, he's a guy that uh, apparently got worked out by 18 uh, NFL teams and had serious interest from nine of them, including the Patriots and some others. Uh, he's 27 years old. Uh, he's been in the uh, CFL for a few years, um, and he's just Fairly good. Um, he's, you know, he, I don't, I don't really know how to measure um, 
CFL stats, but he's got, you know, he's got some interceptions. I think he has 10 interceptions over the last two seasons, about a hundred tackles. Um, so, you know, he's a, he's a player that uh, from all reports was somebody that uh, was, was sought after by uh, a good amount of teams. Uh, and the bears uh, apparently gave him a, a fairly sizable contract. People, um, are referencing the Cameron Wake uh, contract, which is the last uh, sort of high-profile uh, CFL signing, which is going back, you know, to 2009. Um, so it's it's unclear how much money it is. Uh, in 2009, Cameron Wake signed for 4.9 million dollars, um, and um, so that was fairly substantial. So you would think he's gotten a pretty good deal. Um, you know, I imagine uh, the coming to play for the Bears defense had something to do with it. But at the end of the day, it, it, you know, it's probably a money decision. So um, other interesting uh, sort of notes about him is that he was a quarterback for uh, Indiana. And he also played at ISU. Um, he actually uh, played in the um, FCS championship against Carson Wentz. Um, when he was the quarterback for ISU. Uh, so, you know, he's a, he's a talented athlete um, and, uh, you know, has spent the last couple of years in the CFL, uh, you know, and it sort of um, <clears throat> goes to illustrate uh, pace. Um, you know, he's got his uh, sort of tendrils everywhere and he's uh, looking for, for talent in Canada, uh, you know, going all the way back to, um, you know, Akeem Hicks, uh, you know, being formerly uh, a Canadian player. And uh, you had, uh, of course, Matthew Betts that didn't really work out last year, but James Vodders, um, who was up and down on the roster um, as well. So um, it should be interesting. Um, you know, uh, people are sort of already um, putting two and two together that this means Prince Amukamara is gone. I, I don't know if I necessarily buy that. Um but a cornerback is definitely a position that I feel like they need to work on the depth for. I mean, I don't know if you can ever have too many cornerbacks these days when you are playing all the time, basically in a dime or a sub package um, with the way that teams, you know, uh, put, put a lot of receivers on the field. So, um, you know, interesting signing, um, you know, good. Uh, it should be interesting. You know, like I said, he's a guy that was highly sought after. So, um, you know, could be good. So this this kid, you know, he's 27 years old. He's got good size. He's uh, anywhere between six foot or six one, depending on which article you're reading. Uh, he was the, according to sources, the number one free agent in all of the Canadian Football League. For a lot of our listeners, you probably don't know a lot about the Canadian Football League. The Canadian Football League is very pass-heavy, far more so than even the NFL. There's one extra man on the field, so they play with 12 men. The field is wider. The field is longer, so it's more of a wide-open game. You only have three downs on offense in the Canadian football league. So if you don't do well enough on the first two, you're punting on third down. So it tends to be a more wide open game. And this kid, uh, you know, he, he, what, 10 interceptions. He, he led Calgary to a great cup in, in the last time they played for him. 
Uh, he was coveted by the 49ers, the Vikings, the Lions, the Chargers, Tampa, Indianapolis, and Arizona. Uh, and, and there's also reports saying that the Patriots also had interest in this kid, but he's now chosen to join the Bears. So interesting that, uh, you know, we've got this kid in the lineup. Uh, I, we haven't seen, uh, like like Aaron, like you said, there, there's some talk about a one of the biggest packages for a Canadian product to come in in a long time, uh, but we haven't seen the details of it yet. So we don't know if he's been signed for one year, two years, five years. We we don't know. Uh, when Robertson played his his high school football in Indiana as well, and he was Mr. Football in 20, 2010. So. Uh, a lot of good press about this kid. Uh, some some nice props going to Pace for for signing this kid to uh, to the NFL. He he was on the Minnesota Vikings uh, roster. He got cut uh, down at final cuts and spent a year on their practice squad. Uh, and he was you know he was converted late in his career um, to from quarterback to the to becoming a defensive back so there's a lot of skills there obviously and uh, we're excited to see what this kid can bring come uh, come training camp so so congratulations to trey for joining the best team in all of football uh, now we got to fix the offense so i bring that up because my partner uh double a has uh, this past week he's kind of gone on a rant um, uh, about our Bears quarterback. And rather than me trying to put words in his mouth, I'd just rather have Aaron just uh, spill his guts this morning and, and tell us exactly what he was feeling and why he was tweeting what he was tweeting. So, Aaron, the floor is yours for a while. Take it away, man. <laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's it, Twitter is not a permanent place. Uh, a lot of times I use Twitter to kind of work out uh, thoughts on things. So it's not as if what I'm saying is not 100% my feeling. But there's times where, you know, I put things up on Twitter to, to sort of work them out, get some feedback on them, you know, stir things up a little bit. Um, but my general feeling after this season and as we go along is that I just feel – exhausted with this kid i'm i'm exhausted with the narratives i'm exhausted with the people that are so staunchly in support of him for really you know very thin reasons um you know it's it's uh it you know i'm, I'm tired of as a bears fan watching every other team have a better quarterback than us it seems um and you know and and obviously the mahomes watson uh storylines are just exhausting and it's i just i i feel like and i don't think this is what's going to happen i don't necessarily think this is what's best for anybody but i feel like if i had my choice i would much rather see somebody else in a bears uniform than this kid next year i don't think that's going to happen I don't think Pace is going to do that. Pace is, I don't, and again, I don't know that it necessarily makes a lot of sense. But I also hear this argument out there that, well, he makes $8 million, he's coming back. And I've made that same argument. 
But at the same time, it's like $8 million is not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. I mean, I, I put out there that, you know, they paid Parky $5 million to go away. You know, they paid uh, between Soul and um, uh, Mike Davis and Trey Burton and, you know, some of these other guys, you, you know, you can add up very quickly to over $20 million for zero production. So $8 million to, you know, to, you know, again, I don't believe they're going to cut him. I don't believe they're even giving up on him. I just feel like there's guys out there that at this point are cheap and have every bit as much upside as him. And at this point, his, I, I just don't buy, I don't believe that he can succeed in this pressure cooker that has now been created for this kid. And it, you know, it started, it started to become clear to me after that first game of the season, um, when he was getting booed by the, by the faithful, literally in the first quarter of the first game of 2019 at home. And it just, you know, by people wearing his Jersey, like it, it just, it just, we are a rabid fan base, rightfully so. And I have spent multiple years defending this guy to everybody who would listen, you know, going on uh, opposite rants, uh, you know, to Michael Lombardi and, to Peter Bukowski and all these people, you know, who told us he wasn't that good and, you know, he was more Blake Bortles than, um, you know, than anything else and, 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 you know, fought the good fight. So anybody that says I'm just giving up and whatever, I mean, that's just not the case. You know, you can go and see the endless amount of time that I've spent defending this guy on Twitter, on podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. I just, in my heart of hearts, I just I cannot reinvest emotionally in him. Do I hope that he fails? Absolutely not. I hope he succeeds. Um, I just I have a hard time envisioning it any longer. I, I think the kid is OCD. It's been documented in in different articles and interviews. I think that he's overloaded mentally. Um, with Nagy's system, I think th- that they put in all this 202 stuff, and all the 101 fell out, and he was left with, you know, this idea that he was had to be a pocket passer, and he couldn't handle it. He didn't know how to run anymore, and people want to blame Nagy, but, you know, at the end of the day, this is Nagy's the same guy that made a quarterback out of Alex Smith. And Nagy's the same guy that when Chase Daniel comes in and runs the offense, Chase Daniel may be limited physically, but Chase Daniel's completion percentage when he's in the game is over 70%. You know, so, and, and, and as a Bears fan, you cannot say that when Chase Daniel comes in the game, the offense doesn't look like it runs better because it does. All of a sudden, guys that you didn't think were available to catch passes catch passes you know it's like other people other than alan robinson actually exist and he's got limitations and i would never advocate that chase daniel be the quarterback for this team in fact i hope they i absolutely hope they do not retain chase daniel because for what he makes it's not worth it i mean basically so you have 15 million dollars almost tied up between chase daniel and mitch trubisky if you were to bring them both back. I mean, you're going to bring back Mitch. But my thought process is, is why not 
bring in a, a Case Keenum, um, maybe uh, you know even like a Jeff Driscoll who looked good in the limited time when he played for the for the Lions. Uh, you, you, there are um, some other options out there. Nick Mullins um, is a restricted free agent uh, for the 49ers. He was a guy um, that looked good. Um, there's also, you know, Matt Moore out there um, who knows the system is the backup for Kansas City is relatively cheap. Uh, you know, there's options. Um, I, I just I feel like we are if, if the plan is that they have now brought in a whole new set of uh, wet nurses and, um, you know, uh, babysitters for this kid. And now we're just hoping that they're going to be the ones who unlock him. It's just Jay Cutler all over again. It's just another we're, we're just trying to get blood from a stone and it's not going to work. And we're going to be four or five games into the season. And if they don't have, you know, somebody who can step in, uh, I don't know. And what I'm not advocating is one of these 20 million dollar solutions that people are throwing out there, like Cam Newton, who you would need to trade picks for. Or, you know, if if and when Andy Dalton gets cut, I mean, the guy's not going to come here and play for peanuts. So, you know, my thought process is get out, have a really strong backup plan or get out from under this guy and, and help him. Because I'm not saying he can never be a good quarterback. I don't believe he can ever be a good uh, a serviceable starter for a long period of time in this league, but he could, you know, he could have more of a career, um, you know, certainly. I just feel like, you know, he's we've seen enough from him. It's we're 40 plus starts in, you know, he's he hasn't really shown much. You know, we want to look at him through the lens of Bears quarterbacks, and that's just not a that's that's a, that's a weak lens to look at a look at things through. Um, you know, we were we were. It's just, you know, we're sold this idea that Nagy is an offensive uh, guru and the offense has been horrible. <laughs> like it's it's last year was one of the worst Bears offenses of all time. Like that's just that's just brutal. And, you know, so my worst case scenario, honestly, is that he either comes in. We have no great backup plan and we basically repeat last year or. I think even worse would be that he plays like he did in 2018 and they do something as stupid as pick up his fifth year option and pay him $25 million the next season, or God forbid they lock him up on any kind of a long-term contract um, because it's just like, it, it ain't there. So what I'm hoping is that they, they draft a guy for development and we pick up, you know, like I said, like Case Keenum or Matt Moore or maybe, you know, um, you know, a younger guy. And he has a short leash and and we run the ball and, you know, we figure out a way to score 24 points a game. And I think the defense will be fine. And if we do that, we're going to be you know, we're going to be fine. But if they go into this season, anything like that, what they did last year, where Nagy thinks that. He can make Mitch throw the ball 40 times a game, and that's ever going to be a solution for them winning. We're, we're screwed. I mean, we're absolutely screwed. He cannot expect the defense to 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 do enough to win you. Um, you know, that's, that's all we want. If all we want to do is be a 10-6 team who occasionally makes the playoffs, okay, great. I mean, 
you know, that's the last 20 years of Bears football, save a couple of seasons. So if that's what all, that's all we're looking for, and and if the if the McCaskies want to be the Reinsdorfs and treat this organization like it's the Bulls and just you know go, eh, well, you know what, we got we're shooting fish in a barrel, the stadium's full, we're gonna raise ticket prices again, like you know we got you over a barrel, you know we're, you should be happy with 10 and six, that's fine. But at the end of the day, if they're really trying to build a team that's, you know, uh, contending for the Super Bowl, at some point you got to be have the balls to cut your losses um, and not throw more money after bad money or more investment after bad investment. So that's kind of where I was on it. I mean, like I said, you know, he, he, he comes out and plays great. I, I love it. I love it. I would absolutely love it. You know, I, I do not and I will not ever subscribe to this idea that just because you doubted somebody at some point, you're not going to, I root for the bears. So if the bears are doing well, I don't care if Michael Halitech's the quarterback or if, you know, um, you know, if, if uh, uh, JB Pritzker's the quarterback or, you know, whoever's the quarterback, I'm going to root for them in that moment in that game. But my, my emotional state of, of going through it with this guy is just such that I like, I have a hard time, you know, sitting here and flying the, the Mitch Trubisky flag again. That's all. So that's kind of where I was. I don't think in the rest of my life that I will be ever compared to J.B. Pritzker again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably not. No, I just, (laughs) I don't know why those are the two names that came to my mind. (laughs) Don't, don't. Yeah. That that was definitely out of, out of left field. Um, My thoughts on the matter. Yeah. The bears, the Bears have to address the backup quarterback position. I think that Trubisky will be the Bears quarterback until he proves that he can't be. Three seasons in, you know, when you take a look at other quarterbacks that have played the, for the Bears for at least three seasons, aside from Luckman and Cutler, nobody holds a candle to Trubisky, even as consistent as he proved to be last year. So you're going to go with this guy until you can no longer go with this guy. Are they going to pick up his fifth year option? Absolutely. They're going to, they have, they have nobody. They have nobody. That is such a weak weak position of weakness. And, and like, we can't compare this guy to bears quarterbacks. Bears quarterbacks are the worst the worst. They're the worst quarterbacks ever. Like you cannot compare him to Bears quarterbacks and feel satisfied about that. That's- you're absolutely right, Aaron. You're you're absolutely right. I was just I was just making a point though. Right. You know we we so clearly we have seen the potential where he has been stellar. Uh, you know again, not to compare him to anybody else, but no Bear quarterback other than Jay Cutler in the history of the franchise has had more than six games where their quarterback rating was more than a hundred. Only, only Cutler and only Trubisky. Trubisky had four last year. Uh, his lingering shoulder injury apparently it had to be a problem, Aaron. I don't care what anybody is telling me when, you know, in 19 or in, in, in 18, when he ran for over 400 yards uh, and, and used his mobility to his advantage, we didn't see that 
other than in the Dallas game, we didn't see it at all. And he ran for less than two, 200 yards the entire year. So, yeah, that's a problem. The Bears have to address the quarterback position. They have to do it through the draft. Uh, if they can bring in a serviceable veteran at a, at a relatively cap-friendly salary, so be it. Even if they bring Daniel back and pay him you know, a veteran's minimum because he doesn't deserve more than the veteran's minimum anymore. Maybe, maybe double the veteran's minimum, pay him $2 million. Cause he made what? 8 million last year, 6 million last year. He's made his money under underneath Nagy. So we don't have to pay him as much as we paid him in the past. One guy that you forgot to mention uh, just since our last episode, the Los Angeles chargers, announced that they would be parting ways with Philip Rivers. I didn't expect that, but here we are. They're parting ways with Philip Rivers. They're moving into a brand new stadium this year. So, so it's interesting to see what the hell the Chargers are doing right. for their quarterback position. Well, there's a ton of quarterback dominoes that, that are going to fall. This offseason with quarterbacks is going to be crazy. Brady... Breeze, no idea what they're doing. Breeze, I think, is going to retire. Brady, who knows um, what's going on in Tampa. Jameis Winston, what's going on, um, you know, in Jacksonville with Nick Foles. What's going on, um, you know, again, San Diego or Los Angeles Chargers, you know, Phillip Rivers. There's uh, Teddy Bridgewater. There's there's a ton of dominoes to fall. Ryan Tannehill. So the quarterbacks, you know, we're not the only person or team out there that that has a quarterback issue. I just uh, and again, I don't. Uh, number one, Chase Daniel cannot come back. I, no, 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 no. He is not an NFL player anymore. He's a coach. If he wants to come back and hold a clipboard and, and be a coach, fine. But and I don't think it was a bad idea to bring him in here. I mean, obviously, a lot of other teams have thought that it was a good idea. And he's made, you know, like 20 million dollars in his career for like never playing. Awesome. Great for him. (laughs) But it's a great you know, it's great for him. Um, My feeling is just that you can't bring him back, uh, you know, because I think as much as they were able to hold the team together behind Mitch this year, at some point, the like good guy love for this guy is going to stop. You know, um, it's going to, you know, they're eventually going to, guys are going to be like, you know what, like, he ain't the guy. And it's just like, I, I just, I, I think it's just setting the bar. We as Bears fans have set the bar so impossibly low for quarterbacks that it's like, we're happy. You know, and I said that the other day, I, I tweeted that if Mitch Trubisky, and we've talked about on the show, if Mitch Trubisky just does what he did Last year, again, he's going to be like in the top of the Bears record books in a number of categories. And that is not a compliment to Mitch Trubisky. That is an indictment of this franchise and its quarterback ineptitude. We are as great as we are at so many other things and an amazing franchise with Hall of Famers after Hall of Famers, et cetera, et cetera, rich history, et cetera. We are brutal at the quarterback position. It's 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 unbelievable it's almost curse like territory where you just don't understand how we keep trotting out these guys and the list goes on and on and on and there's few teams that can you know that can match us in quarterback ineptitude you know i mean the fact that we are still talking about sid luckman 
is not a feather in the cap of the franchise. It is the opposite. And it's just, I'm, I'm just, I, I'm tired. I'm tired of, you know, this idea. So I hope for God, you know, for everybody's sake, that they have a better plan than just running it back again and kind of chalking it up to, oh, he had a shoulder injury. I mean, everybody has injuries, you know, like everybody has bad line play. Other teams have lack of tight ends. Other teams, you know, this kid can't read a defense. Like he cannot read a defense. Like, you know, he's just, he's just, it's not clicking. It's, it's, you know, and, and I hope that a miracle occurs but I just worry because we've seen this before. We saw this with Cutler, and they should never have signed Cutler to that long-term contract. And the and the organization, you know, uh, I think paid for that. Like, you know, and so that's that's when I, you know, that's it. So that brings us right into the uh, what miracles we're going to see going <laughs> right. I mean, hopefully 20- we hopefully we have brought in the miracle workers. So. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know, as we all know, uh, in Bears Twitter, all of our Bear fans and our listeners, you know, we hired um, a guy by the name of uh, Laser and D. Filippo to come in and, and be our quarterback's coach and offensive coordinator. Um, Laser's success with the Dolphins, 24.3 points and 351 yards per game, which was um, a team best in almost 20 years. And we're hoping obviously that, that we can see some of that uh, in Chicago in, in 20. But uh, this is interesting. Former Dolphins receiver Jarvis Landry. He's very detailed. And that's something that goes a long way, especially being an offensive coordinator. He wants to make sure that every guy is in the right place at the right time for the quarterback. This is a very quarterback-friendly system. Ryan Tannehill said, Bill did a great job. I have a ton of respect for Bill and what he was able to do during my short time with Miami. In Miami, Tannehill in 2014 passed for almost 4,100 yards, uh, a career best 27 in our touchdowns. Uh, and of course we saw what Tannehill could do in the playoffs this year. He threw the ball extremely well. So it, that's kind of interesting. And when you talk about uh, Filippo, none other than, than, and he was a pro bowl quarterback this year, Vikings quarterback, Kirk cousins, Filippo will be outstanding. He's a great coach. He's been around this league for a long time. I think that says a lot when someone like Matt Nagy, who knows quarterbacks so well, hires him. I think that says a lot about Flip. When you look at what he did with Carson once, and this is still Cousins talking, as a young player, I think there's a lot to like there, and he's going to add uh, to a, a lot to that staff, and I guess he's going to be to my detriment because we're in his div- division, <laughs> but he's a great coach. So yeah. there's, there's our hope. Going forward, the Bears. I love, I love the hires. Like I, I think they have. I give much credit to Pace for, for doing what I asked them to do, which was, 
fire the entire offensive staff. Now, if Nat Nagy was the offensive coordinator and not the head coach, he would have gotten fired too. But he's so, the head coach. So when, he's when did you get that. when did you get a bat phone directly to Ryan Pace to put in your request? I don't know. I don't know but I'm <laughs> glad that that happened because it really, you know, none of those guys deserve to keep their jobs if they actually had the job titles that they supposedly had as much as we believe them to. The thing about all those hires that a lot of people, the the old regime was all non-read guys, non, you know, uh, system guys. So Castillo knows the read system, you know, uh, Laser and and Filippo, they all know the similar type of system, you know, from the Peterson tree, whatever you want. And like you said, they re or uh, laser has gotten the best seasons uh, that have ever happened out of both Dalton and Tannehill under his tutelage. Now they also were, uh, you know, bad teams otherwise. So it's not necessarily his fault in Cincinnati. He, you know, he was let go because, uh, um, Marvin Lewis stepped down, you know, after a long time or mutually parted ways, whatever that you want to call that. Um, and then in Miami, you know, similar situation, um, you know, so he's a great coach. I think honestly, like if De, if DiFilippo had become available before Laser, we might not have both of them. I think we might have moved right on DiFilippo and made him the offensive coordinator. Now, you know, the Bears uh, um, interviewed DiFilippo as a head coach uh, in the hiring season when they hired Nagy. DiFilippo got a lot of um, a lot of interviews. He's got there's great. He does there's some great videos um, that DiFilippo has done uh, with his time with the Eagles, you know, breaking down plays, RPOs. He's super detailed. Great hires. Juan Castillo, great hire. Um, so no matter what, no matter who the quarterback is, whether it's Mitch or it's somebody else, they are positioned well in terms of a coaching staff, I believe, to to reset things. And they absolutely had to do that, you know. And I believe Pace when he says that they're evaluating every – part of this team so i by no means feel that the the fifth year option on mitch is a foregone conclusion in fact i think it's very much not and i hope that they do not give it to him uh this season there's no reason to give it to him this season he should play this season feeling like his job is very much in jeopardy that's what they need to to add to the mix here is not only this idea that okay we're Okay, kid, we're putting more people around you. There are zero excuses now. No more excuses. It was supposed to be last year, no more excuses, right? We built this beautiful Hallis Hall for you. We spent $140 million on Khalil Mack. What Virginia say? No excuses. Well, we got a lot of excuses. So some of them legitimate, some of them not legitimate. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the hires. I'm, I feel good that even if Mitch Trubisky does what he did in 2018, which isn't very impressive and isn't very great, but it was fine. This team could be 10 and six, 11 and five easily uh, and, and contend for the division. Um, So, you know, I'm not doom and gloom about the whole team. It's just, you know, I I don't want to go down that, this path again with Mitch because he's just so, he's just so polarizing at this point. So, but yeah, I love, I love the hires and I wanted, you know, Jarvis, I wanted them to sign Jarvis Landry. I was a big Jarvis Landry proponent. Um, it hasn't really, you know, I mean, you know, we could be Cleveland. I mean, Cleveland is, <laughs> they just fired everybody and they're, they're yeah. starting from scratch. 
So could be worse. I'll, I'll probably never say this again to you, but shut up. <laughs> Don't ever bring Cleveland Browns into this conversation again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, could, we could be Cleveland. We could be Detroit. So we could, uh, you know, at least, you know, we've, I think that, you know, you, we can go, we can go on and on about this and we'll have to continue it on another episode. And we've got plenty of episodes between now and when the league season begins for 2020 in the middle of March, uh, cause we're not going to see any free agents being signed. Uh, we're not going to see anything happen until the draft. So we don't know what is going on. You've, you've got March uh, 15th. You're going to see some the free agents period open up. Then the draft happens at the end of March. So, and then you've got the undrafted free agents that come in right after the draft. So there's, there's really nothing we can do about personnel. I think they've got some great coaches though. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, we're going to take a, a break for uh, a little bit for, and hear from our sponsor. And when we come back, Jeff Beckus, he, he goes by the handle uh, Gridiron Born on Twitter. He's a writer and historian uh, for the Windy City Gridiron, similar to in the ilk to uh, Jack Silverstein, who's been on our show a few times as well. It's easy. Aaron, let me, let me ask you, who's your favorite bear of all time? I would have to go with Erlacher. Okay, and I would go with Walter Payton. Okay, I was fortunate enough to see just about every single home game he ever played in his career, except for the 87, 86, and 87 seasons. Um, by far, best best bear player I've ever witnessed. Uh, and it's you can ask every single bear fan that question, and you're going to get dozens of answers depending on the age of the, the people that you're asking but who's the greatest player of a particular era and this is what jeff and his illustrator who goes by the handle whiskey ranger uh, have done they've put together a five-part series the first two parts are online at witty city gridiron and over the course of the next several weeks Jeff is going to be a guest on our show, and we're going to be talking about every episode that he's written, one through five. This week, his first episode goes from the opening year with, as the Decatur Staley's through the Great Depression. So when we come back, Jeff Beck is from Windy City Gridiron. Uh, will join us right after a message from TickSplits.com. So you're looking for great ticket deals. Who is it? Well, TixBlitz.com has you covered. From the biggest sporting events to Broadway shows and concerts, TixBlitz.com has the best ticket selection at the very best prices out there and no service fees. So the price you see is the price you pay. Plus, TixBlitz.com donates up to 25% of their proceeds to charity. TixBlitz.com has the tickets you want when you want them. Go to T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com today. That's TixBlitz.com. Every ticket, every venue everywhere welcome back to the halitech hall show and thanks once again to ticksplits.com ticksplits t-i-x-b-l-i-t-z no service fees and if you type in promo code tailgate t-a-i-l-g-a-t-e you get five percent off of their already low prices because they have no service fees uh 
We are so proud to welcome our next guest. He's a first-time uh, participant to the Halitech Hall Show. He's, he's part of the Windy City Gridiron family. Uh, Jeff Burkus, you can find him at Gridiron Born. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Not a problem. Thank you so much. Uh, Jack Silverstein uh, connected us, and, and I couldn't have been happier when, when I reached out to you and you were uh, happy to, to come on board. You've been working on a uh, series called the, uh, the Championship Belt Series, which goes through all the, the time in Bears history, and it's easy, as you had pointed out in your, your first article, it's easy to say, who's your favorite bear? Because everybody has one, and there's no wrong answer. But who's the best bear in history? And you've taken this with an illustration from your partner, Whiskey Ranger, uh, who's done some absolutely amazing graphics, at least for your first uh, story. Uh, you get a championship belt, and the holder keeps the belt until he loses it for whatever reason. So that said, take us through how you came about with the series and how you are awarding this championship belt to the players throughout history. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Bill Barnwell, who's a writer at ESPN, he used to write for Grantland. And I read a lot of Grantland. Grantland went defunct and then turned into the ringer. Um, but I still follow those guys. And the ringer, they're very creative people. Grantland was pretty much uh, the same same idea. So Bill Barnwell used this concept called the championship belt to award the best quarterback. And he had started his uh, timeline at Johnny Unitas. He also did the best defenses, um, but he didn't go back all the way. He he kind of started in the Super Bowl era. So it, it was kind of an interesting concept. To, you know, he made statistical arguments. He made, uh, you know, championship type arguments for who would hold the belt during that time frame and, and why they would transfer. And so I, I thought this is be for the hundredth season for the Bears. This would be a really fun article series to try to dig into and write of, you know, who was the best player on the Chicago bears on every single year. And so there's certain rules that I tried to follow. I think it's, you know, it's as much art as it is science. And I think that's important to keep in mind that at the end of the day, I'm, I have to just kind of make a decision. Um, obviously I'd love some debate. I'd love some people to say like, I don't think that that guy should have held it because X, Y, and Z. Uh, but really I, I used everything that I could. I've read a lot of Chicago bears history books as I'm sure that you have. And so if I got a quote from George Hallis saying, you know, this guy was the best all around uh, two way player that I ever saw. Well, you know, that was pretty strong endorsement. And I would I would keep that in mind as I was awarding the belt. Uh, but basically, I started in 1920 and I worked my way through all 100 years. I have it all uh, sketched out, but it's going to come out over five parts. The first two parts are available online. The third part is pretty close. And hopefully we'll be able to finish it up in short order to have it out for everybody. But the illustrations take a long time. As you mentioned, my partner in crime, Whiskey Ranger, um, he's at Whiskey Ranger 29 on on Twitter. He does some incredible work and it just takes a lot of time to be able to to produce these uh, incredibly interesting and intricate uh, posters. So for every single belt uh, uh, bout, if you will, I had this idea of getting a like a fight picture, like a, like a boxing match championship 
picture. So that's kind of the idea of all of these illustrations. And they're inspired by the era. So they're all true to the, the fonts, the color schemes. Those are all true to the era. So every uh, poster has uh, a name. They all have uh, nicknames that we sometimes used, lifted from history, but also when they didn't have a nickname, we gave them one, which was interesting to give some of these historically great players nicknames. Uh, and a kind of a, uh, you wonder if I'm uh, doing them right. And then we worked through and just uh, gave the belt out to who we thought the best player was. So that said, you've got five parts in in this series. And uh, so part one takes us from day one through the Great Depression, which we're going to focus on in this episode. And then tell us how you separated the other four parts. Sure. So the so the first part goes through the Great Depression. Second part uh, takes us through the 40s and 50s, and basically ends in uh, basically uh, not a spoiler because it's out. But Bill George, um, uh, through his his reign as the belt holder, uh, the part three goes through the Super Bowl 20 championship, and then part four. Uh, goes up until uh, 1999, and then the last part will be the modern history. Boy, 1999—that's a tough year uh, because that's the year Walter Payton passed away. Yeah, it's uh, it's also a tough year because of five really tough years of not a lot of great Bears football either. The late 90s were not exactly the most thrilling to, to Bears fans. Well, kind of like uh, it's akin to the Abe Gibran years in the 70s. Yes. Those were those were probably the worst years outside of most recent history, the John Fox era. How could John Fox end up being as bad or worse statistically uh, than Abe Gibran was? Because those those teams back in the day were just absolutely horrific. Well, I'll tell you this much. I had a much harder time with the late 90s with this series than I did with the 70s because there are some obvious belt holders in the 70s and there are not in the late 90s. Good point. Good point. So part one, we start off obviously 1920. I was surprised George Hallis isn't on the poster, if you will, that that Whiskey Ranger put up for you. Uh, Guy Chamberlain versus George Trafton. Tell us about that, uh, those uh, those two guys, and who ended up getting the belt. So Trafton's one of my favorite all-time Bears because the stories about him are just he's more brawler than he was, you know, modern-day football player. He would not last in today's game. And so I came across Trafton on some of those early 1920s books talking about talking about him and his style and how he'd conflict with Hallis from time to time. Um, Guy Chamberlain is not a guy that you hear a lot about, but in 1920, he played for the Decatur Staley's and he uh, was a Nebraska alum, World War One veteran, uh, played just the one year uh, for Hallis. He was quite tall. He was like six foot three. And the thing about Chamberlain is that he was named to an all pro team in 1920. And so that that helped him kind of, oh, hey, this this guy's pretty good. Uh, if I came across a quote from Hallis that said he was the best two-way end he'd ever seen. 
Uh, it also mentioned that he was a tremendous tackler and a triple threat performance on, uh, performer on offense. And so that really tipped me that this guy was pretty good. But as I kept digging into Chamberlain, uh, I realized that he was he, he was a Hall of Famer, and most of his career just was spent tormenting George Hallis uh, in the 20s. He had a ridiculous professional record. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, he was something like 58 and three. Uh, and so just a, just an incredible uh, professional record and a lot of championships. And as you see uh, throughout the bears of the twenties, they kept finishing second in the league. And I think Chamberlain was the one that was racking up championships. And so in 1920 Chamberlain wins the belt. And I called it the, the grist mill grinder is the fight uh, between Chamberlain and, and Trafton uh, to, to honor the, the Staley's, uh, uh, you know, flower making enterprise. So uh, that was uh, that. That's the first one. It, it goes to Chamberlain over Trafton. That's a great tie-in with the uh, the Staley Starch Company there. And then, of course, in 1921, the Decatur Staley's moved to Chicago uh, with the full blessings of uh, Augustus Eugene Staley. Uh, gave the team and some money to to Hallis and his partner. They moved the team up to Chicago. The one request being that at least for the first year, they would keep the name Staley's as their moniker. So in 1921, uh, Trafton and Dan Chamberlain fall off the list and they were replaced by none other than George Hallis and Pete Stitchcomb. So uh, set us up for the battle and, and who wins the crown? Right. So uh, in 1921, it's the Chicago Staley's, 22, it's the Chicago Bears. Uh, so 21, Trafton drops off because he goes to coach at Notre Dame. Uh, and then he comes back into professional football after that because I think he was run out of town uh, because he had he had played a year of professional football or something. You know, the college pro uh, conflict between between those two uh, entities. And Chamberlain left. So he, he was winning championships at other places. And so it, it opens it back up. Uh, so interesting when you look at the history, Hallis bringing in Stinchcomb. Uh, Stinchcomb was a part of a package deal with uh, Chick Harley, who he offered a ownership stake uh, to be able to get these Ohio State guys to sign with the Bears. And so it, interesting part of the, the story um, is that Chick Harley lost his ownership stake because he uh, it was revealed that he had syphilis uh, during a physical and they took it to the owners association and he uh, lost his appeal and lost his ownership stake. And so the reason why uh, Stinchcomb was there in Chicago was because of this package deal that Chick Harley brought him along with him. Um, but <laughs> um, just, uh, but he lost that ownership stake. So it's very interesting. Uh, the early years of how Hallis uh, was able was able to bring guys in and the different things that obviously can't happen today. But um, I digress uh, the between the two players, you know, Hallis was a I, I would call Hallis a really good player. Um, and his highlight was probably in the Rose Bowl uh, and not necessarily in the pros. But he does not rack up any postseason honors like a lot of these other guys. And Stinchcomb, uh, as a as a halfback, uh, really took Chicago by storm. And in 21 and 22, he was the only guy that received any sort of uh, first team All Pro honors. And so, uh, for me, that was 
pretty important in leaning on the early years to figure out who uh, was the most deserving with some of these postseason honors. And Stinchcomb was the only guy to, to have those first team all pros. Probably the one uh, record, and it stood for a long time, I believe it stood for over 50 years, that George Hallis did own was he had the longest fumble recovery in the NFL for a touchdown, and that stood the test of time until the 70s uh, when it was broken not once, but it was broken subsequently another time. But I believe his fumble recovery was more than 90 yards. Uh, but uh, but it is you know it, it's a it's a great uh, you know I, I love the story between between Pete and George uh, in your article. Yeah, and I think that record was broken by Jack Tatum, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and it was uh, somewhat of a controversy because back in back in those days, you could not advance a fumble on a lateral. If the fumble resulted uh, during a lateral, it was considered a muff like it is on a punt. Oh, okay. And, you know, there was a little bit of debate about whether or not that record should have stood, but of course the play stood so they can't go back and change it. It's kind of like Mike Ditka putting an asterisk uh, on the, uh, on the replay game in green Bay in the late nineties. So, so, um, you know, that lasted that was a belt that, that Stitchcomb had held for three, four seasons, right? 21 two, through two. Two years. Uh, 23 and 24, it's Trafton versus Healy. You're right. I'm sorry. It was 21 to 21 to 22. Uh, and then Trafton came back in the league. So 1923, it was opened back up to uh, George Trafton with a newcomer to the list, Ed Healy. Right. So, and I, I should mention that uh, George Trafton, I came across a nickname for him. He was called the brute, uh, which reflected his style. Uh, Ed Healy did not have a nickname. So we gave him Ed Steely Healy, uh, which I uh, am a fan of rhymes. Uh, but um, <laughs> so Stinchcomb leaves for the Columbus Tigers in 1923. And, uh, you know, this is a, I mentioned in the, the rules that it's a lot easier if you're, you know, if you're a running back or if you're a quarterback or, you know, middle linebacker or something like that, the position that gets more attention to win the belt, but, you know, football in the twenties, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty low scoring usually. And I think a lot of the guys on the line did get a lot of attention. And so I, I have no problem with some of these battles that I've, that I've uh, put up here of being between linemen, because one, they went both ways. And then two, um, there's uh, there's just so much focus on the lines in the, in those early days. But uh, Trafton's pretty interesting, you know, because he ends up getting into the hall of fame uh, of course. Uh, and one of the things that makes him particularly interesting as a center is that he's credited as the first center to snap with one hand. Uh, which I think is pretty interesting. So he he was a, somewhat of an innovator. Uh, he was also the first nose tackle uh, to roam, move off the line, not just play uh, with his nose on the football, but back up a little bit and uh, move around. And so he uh, was credited with a lot of innovation. And I and I think that's that's really at the end of the day what allowed me to award that 
belt over to Trafton over Healy. Uh, Healy, a really good player and in, its, in his own right. And so um, it's it's fun to pick from really good historical players. Uh, but, uh, but for me, uh, as a guy who played a little center back in his playing days, I, I like the fact that he was the first guy to figure out you could just snap it with one hand. When I had Jack Silverstein on the show a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about some of the Bears players that were the first to do something. Yeah, so we've we've got we've got Stitchcomb, we've got or was it Healy? I'm sorry. Who, uh, who this one? The, yeah. Uh, uh, Healy and and Trafton. Yeah, and so you, we went all the way up to Bobby Douglas, who was the first quarterback to wear a, a, a playlist on his wrist. Okay. You know, um, the, Bill George, George Connor, the first middle linebacker, first outside linebacker. Uh, I believe it was Stan Jones, the first player to uh, in the NFL to regiment a a, a workout. Uh, to to stay in shape in the off season, so there there's uh, so many Bears players that are the first in league history to ever do something, and here we have another Bear, the first Bear to ever snap with just one hand. Uh, we have a challenger, a new challenger in 1925, and George is still on the list. So Trafton uh, has a new challenger, none other than Red Grange. Yeah. So, and I should mention too, I, I'm sorry, I keep kind of backing up, but as I'm, I'm scrolling through my, my own article, as we talk through this and, and one of the things that I think would be beneficial if you guys are enjoying listening to this is to, to pull up the article and, and go through it is I give every guy a walk-up song. So if you see, it's pretty popular now in major league baseball for a hitter or a relief pitcher to come to the mound, um, to his own personalized music. Um, I think Devin Hester had his own walk-up music. They would play that, uh, at Superman song when he would get ready for kick returns. And so I, I, I brought that into the mix as well. So there's there's some there's a musical element um, to it, and I tied Trafton uh, to uh, a story about his mom. His mom actually lent George Hallis uh, 20 grand, which obviously is a lot of money in that day, a lot of money now, but a lot of money in that day. Um, and uh, that helped keep the Bears solvent. And she turned around and doubled her money um, when the team started making a profit. But uh, George uh, George Trafton's mom actually is an unsung hero in the history of the Chicago Bears franchise. So kind of an interesting little story there, too. So uh, getting us to 25, I uh, called this the Barnstormer Brawl because as most people, especially fans of your podcast and Bears history know, 1925 was the barnstorming year where Red Grange was the biggest thing going uh, in college football. The Bears signed him to uh, a contract that started after the college football season ended. So he finished his year at Illinois and then he came to the Chicago Bears and, and George Hallis had a bunch of games set up for him. Uh, this one is pretty easy uh, to to award the belt to. And the, the main reason is that this guy was one of the greatest 
athletes uh, to ever play the game at that time. There, you know, Grantland Rice was writing these uh, amazing love stories uh, about Red Grange and, and the way that he moved. And he was able to pack stadiums around the entire uh, nation and basically put NFL on the map. It was one of the first major college football players to uh, go pro. And he got a huge contract uh, from George Hallis and it helped uh, raise the uh, NFL to, to the start that, um, put it on the trajectory that it is today. So for me, this is a really easy one to award uh, the belt in 1925 to the galloping ghost. Red Grange's very first game was on Thanksgiving in 1925. And one of the things that is, and you go back and look at the history and, and, and I hope our listeners take you up on, on going through this article because it's absolutely amazing. But when you take a look at attendance figures in the league before Grange and after Grange, he absolutely put the NFL on his back. So he ended up getting the title uh, in 1925, but fell off in 26 already. So tell us well, a little a bit about that, because in from 26 to 29, we've got three brand new, well, two brand new challengers with a comeback. Ed Healy is back on the list along with Jimbo McMillan. Jimbo McMillan is the only guy in this part one that I didn't recognize uh, his name. And Patty Driscoll, uh, who's, uh, you know, if you don't know Bears history, you've you've got to know who Patty Driscoll was in, in Bears lore. Yeah, well, so Red Grange doesn't play for the Bears in 26, right? So he's gone. Uh, he goes and signs a, a deal elsewhere. He's he's uh, you know he's trying to start up another team. He has a very controversial agent. There's a really good book about Red Grange uh, out there and his relationship with Hallis and, and his agent. And um, that that's something that I leaned heavily on uh, writing this this series as well. So that's something to think about. And and just in an odd twist of fate, and you know we we will get back to Grange at some point, but. George Trafton actually uh, hurt uh, Red Grange's knee in a in a game between the Bears and the New York Yankees football team uh, that that Grange was playing for, and so uh, Grange actually lost a lot of his athletic ability based on a hit by George Trafton. So it's interesting that they faced off for the belt in 1925. Uh, but getting to 26 through 29. Yeah, we brought back Healy, still a you know a great performer, five-time All-Pro. Uh, you know he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know the Jim McMillan, he's uh, you know he was a University of Illinois guy. I was like the local uh, you know potential of bringing in those University of Illinois guys uh, through the the system. There's a really rich history of Illinois football playing for Chicago, obviously. Uh, and then you have. Patty Driscoll, who was a champion on the other side with the Cardinals, the, the Chicago Cardinals. He he was a won the 1925 championship with them. He was considered the, the best player in the league uh, at, at that time. He was considering going away uh, from the Chicago Cardinals uh, because they couldn't pay him enough and going into a rival football league. And instead, to try to keep him in the NFL, uh, the Chicago Cardinals traded him to the Bears because Hallis was the only person that could afford to pay him the salary that he deserved. And so kind of an interesting 
uh, twist of fate again. We're still trying to keep the NFL as the league and Hallis pulls off a move and is the only one that has the means to do so. So in this battle for the belts, uh, we called it the roaring twenties tussle. And uh, to me, it was pretty easy uh, because Driscoll would, would have already had name recognition in town when he came uh, over to the bears, uh, just, you know, Going over to the other side of town is uh, is is not enough to lose any name recognition, and he was already considered uh, the you know the best player in the league. And so for me, uh, this one was pretty easy that Driscoll would have it, and he would hold it for quite a while. You know, twenty six to twenty nine is a four year four year reign, and so um, definitely a, a a long time for him. But he was an outstanding performer and has a rich history with George Hallis. Played with him in college. Uh, you know, threw him a touchdown pass on the Rose Bowl and uh, obviously uh, served as a head coach later on. So uh, has a huge part in Bears history, but he holds the belt here for the late 20s. And that brings us to the 30s and a return of Red Grange, along with another running back who is in his own right historic for the Bears, uh, Bronco Nagurski. So for 1930 and 31, the belt went to. So this one is uh, it's going back to Grange. So Grange signs with the Bears back in 1929. Uh, it's hard to really tell if he would have been a better player than Driscoll at that point. But Driscoll retires in 1920 after the 1929 season. So he opens it back up. Uh, Grange is not the athlete that he once was. He wasn't. He's not the dynamic running back. He still scores uh, a lot of touchdowns uh, for that era. Uh, but really, a lot of the notes on Grange are just how good of a corner uh, he was. And so he was an excellent defender as well. And so that that's uh, that's really why he wins the belt. Bronco is you know, he's a rookie uh, in 30. And so he doesn't really pick up his steam until uh, a little later on. But this is a, this is my favorite poster. <laughs> if nothing else, uh, check out this article for the, for the artwork, but this is my favorite poster uh, that whiskey Ranger put together. Uh, we called it thunder and lightning. Um, obviously uh, Nagurski's the thunder and Grange is the lightning. And so uh, just a, a really cool uh, moment in time where you have two all time running backs in the same backfield uh, for the bears. My favorite poster in that article, bar none. Yeah, it was my beautiful. absolute favorite poster. Uh, Bronco Nagurski is still around uh, in 32 through 37. Uh, Greg Grange is no longer a belt holder apparently and uh we've got a new challenger and the last on the list as we head through the end of part one uh, a lot of people don't know who this guy is his numbers retired by the bears uh he's that one guy when you look through the list and go who is billy hewitt right right so tell, tell, tell us about billy so, yeah, obviously we all know Bronco and um, we'll get back to him. But uh, Hewitt, uh, you know, he was an outstanding end for the Bears and he racked up uh, three all pros during his time with the Bears. Uh, he left Chicago and went to Philadelphia uh, for, for the second half of his career. But he was eventually named to the Hall of Fame in 1971. So he was a Hall of Fame player that played the majority of his career for the Bears. And, and Hallis obviously thought uh, quite highly of him. Um, part of what's tough is that when a guy leaves, you're not going to 
use that as uh, his time of service for the Bears. Uh, and so, you know, if you're if you're great in Philadelphia, that doesn't mean that you're very good for Chicago. So, uh, obviously, he's a he's a a worthy person to hold uh, second place during the Nagurski reign. But uh, can you really overstate just how amazing Bronco Nagurski was and just what a force he was in the thirties for the bears? Because this is a guy who um, almost has more like lore around him than just about any other player. Maybe red Grange would be the only person that I've come across that has uh, the same amount of lore, but, uh, he basically dominated in the 30s, and the only reason he left was because of a dispute over money with Hallis um, before coming back for that one year in, in 43. But uh, the, the best quote that I have on on uh, Bronco was from Red Grange himself. Grange is quoted as saying, when anybody asks me who the greatest football player I ever saw was, I don't even hesitate. It was Nagurski, equal to Buckus in his prime on defense, Faster and equal to Larry Zonka on offense. Uh, that's uh, pretty high praise. Absolutely. I believe that uh, the, the, it's, this is all legendary stuff. The, there was a scout coming up to see a different player. Uh, and isn't Nagurski is working in, this, in his field. And Gledgen says he picks up the plowshare and points it in the direction of where <laughs> the, uh, yeah. uh, the, the scout needed to go. And as uh, he scored a touchdown, of course, back in those days, the Bears played at Wrigley Field, and the left field wall was basically the, the end of the north end zone. And as he went through the line, he had his head down, and he, he ran headfirst into the wall. He comes back to the sideline. It says, yeah, a couple of guys got a couple of licks on me, but that last guy hit me pretty good, and that yep. was the wall that he hit when yep. <laughs> after he had gone through the the end zone. So, uh, some there's some great stories. Uh, you've got to listeners, you've got to go to Windy City Gridiron. I will post a link to uh, to this story uh, on our Twitter page. You need to follow uh, Jeff at Gridiron. Born, G-R-I-D-I-R-O-N-B-O-R-N. And, of course, his illustrator, none other than Whiskey Ranger, who just did some amazing work. Uh, Jeff, we're going to have you back on uh, to go through parts two through five. Uh, part two starts, obviously, with the 1938 season and gets us to where? Goes through Bill George. Through Bill George. So we're talking, what, 19, the late 50s? Uh, 61, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and then, of course, the, the 60s. Wow. Who's going to hold the belt? I'm not going to I'm not going to uh, ask you to spoil. Uh, but when you talk about the 60s, you've got Butkus and Sayers. Yep. So yeah. you've got you got some. Um, I'm sure that belt went back and forth a couple of times. And I haven't, I haven't seen part three, and I'm just dying to, to see that. So, Jeff, we'll have you back on. Obviously, we've got some scheduling conflicts that we talked about before the recording started, uh, but we're definitely going to get you back on. We're going to get through all five parts of this uh, championship belt series because one of the things that we love to do at Halitech Hall is talk about Bears history. 
we've got so many followers that have jumped on the bandwagon or they've only been, they're in their 20s or their 30s. Some never saw Walter Payton play. I used to go back and forth with people crying about the fact that I want artificial turf because of the speed of the game. I want to go back to, to artificial turf at Soldier Field, and I get people yelling at me, go, what the hell are you talking about? Soldier Field's always been grass. Mm. <laughs> well, Walter, right. Payton, Walter Payton never played a home game in Chicago on anything but concrete covered by green carpet called AstroTurf. Right. And the, the year after he retired, they replaced it with grass, and it's been a grass field ever since in, in 19. 19- 88. So uh, this has been a fascinating interview, and I'm, I'm so pleased to uh, bring you to our listeners. And you've got to go to Jeff's podcast a little bit. So before I let you go, I'm going to let you plug your own podcast. Ah, I appreciate that. So I host a podcast uh, through the Windy City Gridiron Network called Bears Over Beers. It has its own Twitter page um, that I run that I sometimes put some stuff out on uh, certainly all of our podcasts are, are retweeted through that. Uh, so the, the shtick of that is uh, my co-host EJ Snyder, who is a draft expert. Uh, we start off with a craft beer or some alcoholic beverage uh, every episode, talk about it uh, at the start. Then we talk about the bears and then we come back and finish up by talking about that beer. So uh, that's kind of our shtick there. And EJ's uh, really deep in film room stuff right now. Uh, he just got back from the senior bowl. And so uh, if you want some draft coverage, hopefully we're going to be providing a pretty good voice for that. Looking forward to that because uh, there were several players that definitely uh, their arrows pointing up or their stock is rising after their performance this past weekend. So, Jeff, appreciate your time. We're going to bring back Aaron and close out our show after a message from TickSplits.com. I just heard my favorite band is in town. I'd love to get good seats, but everywhere I've looked, the ticket sites have crazy service fees. Haven't you heard of TickSplits? Who? TickSplits. They don't gouge you with crazy fees. The price they advertise is the price you pay, plus a small delivery fee. Never pay service fees again. Go to TixBlitz.com today. TickSplits.com. Guaranteed seats, low prices. That's TickSplits.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. That was Jeff Beckus. That was an interview that we actually recorded a couple of days ago. And the guy is just a brilliant and fascinating mind. He can't be with us this, this coming week. So this coming week, we're going to devote the show to the Super Bowl and uh, the reactions from fans around the league. And, of course, if there's any Breaking Bears news between now and next Wednesday, uh, we'll we'll bring that to you on our next episode. But uh, wanted to thank again TickSplits.com. Go to TickSplits.com. Never pay a service fee. Right now, if you look at Super Bowl tickets, the average price is over six thousand dollars. And just to do some quick math, if you take six thousand times twenty-two percent. That's your service fee, just the service fee that you have to pay on the likes of uh, Ticketmaster, SeatGeek, StubHub. And at TickSplits.com, you pay zero service fees. So you're saving thousands of dollars 
on your tickets. Now, obviously, there's not a lot of people, uh, you know, in our listening circles that are going to be going to that game. But just imagine if the Bears were in the Super Bowl and how much money you could save. It would save you the cost of your airfare getting down to the, the next Super Bowl venue. And I don't know where the next Super Bowl is. It's not L.A. this coming year, but we'll talk about that in a, in another episode. So uh, that said, Aaron, um, let's talk a little bit about the upcoming game on Sunday. It's obviously Kansas City. It's the 49ers. It's a f- team that was 4-12 and in, in 18, making it to the Super Bowl versus a team that was – inches away from making the Super Bowl uh, in the last year because they, they were the home team in the NFC tight or the AFC title game, speaking of the Kansas City Chiefs. But they fell short against uh, the Patriots, who then went on to, to go to the Super Bowl last year. Uh, it's an interesting matchup, and I think uh, it's going to be a high-scoring one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, real quick, speaking of... Um breaking news only because it just happened. Jeff Dickerson, uh, the Bears beat reporter from ESPN, just reported that Mitch Trubisky has had uh, labrum surgery, um, successful labrum surgery on his left shoulder, which was widely speculated um, that he would have surgery. So the recovery time, you know, is about two months. So non-throwing shoulder, um, had the surgery to clean up the labrum. Um, again, you know, uh, was was uh, widely speculated um, that that would happen. But um, the <clears throat> Super Bowl, uh, I think it, it's a great matchup. Um, I think uh, it's the 49ers are definitely a team that the Bears can look to and Bears fans can look to. And I believe that, you know, they, they should give us hope. Um, it's an interesting evolution for them. You know, uh, one of the things and even um, a couple uh, people on the 49ers, Garoppolo being one of them, has mentioned the fact that him being injured uh, in the previous uh, year actually helped them uh, because they were able to get the first pick of Nick Bosa. Uh, and Nick Bosa, you know, has had just an unbelievable effect on that team. They're a talented roster, but and people don't want to believe this, but but John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan uh, were very much, uh, you know, on the borderline hot seat going into this season. It was not. Um, going particularly well, even though, you know, you, you heard, uh, you know, about the John Lynch supposedly fleecing the bears and this, that, and the other. And, um, you know, it, they, you know, they were, they were not a good team. Um, they didn't have a lot of receivers. Uh, they obviously got George Kittle. That was great. Uh, running backs, they kept signing running backs and it didn't work out. Um, they had injuries, um, that were plaguing them, you know, um, but, it kind of all came together uh, and, you know, they got Nick Bosa. The defense became dominant. They, you know, the, I don't know what it is about the Shanahan's uh, Kyle and Mike and whatever, but it seems like they have some sort of magic uh, formula for run game uh, because no matter what, uh, you know, Shanahan offenses, whether it's Kyle or Mike, it just seems like you can plug whatever running back you want in there, you know, and, and, and we talked about, um, Mostert, you know, last week. Um, but, you know, even when it was uh, Mike Shanahan and the Broncos, 
Uh, it was like any running back that you, you could think of. You just plug him in there and, uh, you know, he'd be a thousand yard rusher uh, because of this scheme and this, you know, play action and, and what they have. So you kind of, you know, I think it's going to be a great matchup. You have sort of polar opposites and offensive styles. Uh, the, the Chiefs are a quick strike, uh, you know, type of offense. They're going to, you know, uh, try to uh, beat you deep and, and stretch the field and then, you know, hit you with underneath stuff. Uh, they've got, you know, Kelsey and, and Tyree Kill who are just deadly. Uh, and then they've got probably, you know, arguably the best player in football and Patrick Mahomes who can, even when you think he's beaten, he'll still beat you. You know, he'll run out and um, make a play with his feet or he'll r- roll out and make a ridiculous throw. Um, so my feeling about the game, you know, is I feel like the Chiefs have a little bit more. Um, but, you know, the 49ers are certainly formidable. And uh, I think Garoppolo is better than people are giving him credit for. You know, he was a guy that did go down to to New Orleans and went toe-to-toe with Breeze in a 48-46 game and had to, you know, for throw for 340 yards and four touchdowns. So it's not like he's not capable. Um, uh, but I think it's a great matchup. I'm super excited that Rodgers is not in it. I think as we've talked about, I'm super excited that Tom Brady is not in it for once. Um, and my, I would like the Chiefs to win. I hope that they win. I think that they will. And I, I'd like to see Andy Reid get, get uh, his Super Bowl. It would be great to see. This is Kansas City's first appearance in the Super Bowl since Super Bowl Four. They were also the very first AFL, back in the days when it was still the AFL and the NFL, they were the first representative of the AFL to be in the Super Bowl, only to be, uh, you know, have their asses tanked by by Green Bay. But then they came back in Super Bowl Four and beat a, a pretty damn good Minnesota Vikings team, and it wasn't close. But it's their first time back since. The, the uh, 49ers last appeared in the Super Bowl in the, in the mid-'90s when they got beat by, by Baltimore in the Harbaugh Bowl when John and, and Jim played against or coached against each other down in New Orleans. Uh, probably the, the most memorable part of that Super Bowl was the power failure. That, mm-hmm. that occurred in uh, the second, the beginning of the second half, and, and they were, what, shut down for almost 45 minutes. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so two very representative teams. And when you take a look at the Kansas City, Kansas City is the high-powered offense. Uh, you know, San Francisco, for lack of a of, of better t- phraseology, they're a lot like the 2017 Bears, at least the 18 team was. Mm-hmm. They had no quarterback. They were four and 12. They got they got rich through a couple of key draft choices and a couple of key free agent signings. And when you take a look at the Bears going from 12 and four, regressing back to eight and eight, we now have come to learn that Khalil Mack was uh, had a little bit of a neck and a back problem that he was he was fighting through all year. The struggles and inconsistencies of Mitch Trubisky are have been well documented documented on both this podcast and every single Bears podcast known to humankind. Uh, Trey Burton was a no-show. The offensive line was absolutely terrible. There is a great clip on a on a run uh, by Olin Krutz on Twitter. I wish I would have saved it so I could talk about it. 
where white hair is pointing to the unblocked man in the formation that should have been Coward's man. They were double teaming the guard, Coward and Whitehair, and instead of bouncing out to get the, the defensive back, he stayed in the double team, Coward did, and Montgomery ran, guess where? Right to the unblocked defensive back. So there's some problems in communication with, with the, the newcomers that were on the line and hopefully another year of seasoning and maybe a couple of key acquisitions along the offensive line, and that can make a world of difference with our offense. So uh, two great representatives in the Super Bowl this year. Uh, I think um, I, I have to take Kansas City on this one. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with you. I, I you know, I, I just feel like you're, it's too hard to beat Patrick Mahomes for 60 minutes. I mean, I think that both the Titans and the um, the Ravens gave them everything they could handle, and it just still wasn't enough. And I don't know if, you know, because at the end of the day, and you just go down go down the roster, you know, uh, you're going to take Mahomes over Garoppolo. You're going to take uh, uh, Kittle and, and Kelsey, that's a push, but you're going to take Watkins and Tyreek Hill and Miko Hardman and the skill position players of the Chiefs over the 49ers guys, Debo Samuel and and Emmanuel Sanders all day. I mean, you're just going to. You're going to. And, you know, I, I think that I think the 49ers might be able to run the ball, but this Chiefs defense is not bad. People are talking about this Chiefs defense like they suck. They've been one of the best defenses over the last couple months in the league. Uh, you know, they they pretty well shut down you know, Derrick Henry, uh, and, you know, they've got, you know, Frank Clark is a really good player. Um, you know, Jones is a great, is a really good player. You know, uh, Tyron Matthew is great. Um, he's playing out of his mind and, you know, Richard Sherman is also playing well, but I can definitely see this game. If I was the chiefs, I would go right at Richard Sherman right away. And because I think if you hit them deep and you get the 49ers behind, if the 49ers are trailing in this game, it could be a a very lopsided affair. Um, And that's, you know, because I don't think the 49ers are built to come back. Uh, I think I I like Garoppolo. I think he's a solid quarterback. I would love to have him. You know, I would trade Mitch for Garoppolo in a heartbeat. But um, it's. He's not necessarily a guy that you can trust to come back against the Chiefs because the Chiefs are, you know, they're just like never out of it. I mean, after that Texans game, they they have to feel so confident that there's no lead that they cannot surmount. I mean, I just think they're playing with a, such a high level of confidence. And I don't I think a lot of people are saying the Chiefs are cocky. I don't really believe that. I think they're they're very very confident um you know and then i don't think it's going to come down to kicks but both teams have have solid kickers um obviously robbie gold and and butker um and you know other than that i just feel like the chiefs check more have have an advantage i don't like i said i would guess maybe my guess on a score is probably like i said 45 to 33 I think I think it's gonna be there's gonna be lots of scoring, um, and that's why I would take the Chiefs. It'll be interesting, no doubt. I I, I think 
If I'm looking at this game as a as a as a handicapper, uh, it's it's there's a couple of keys to this game. Number one, Garoppolo is the forgotten man here. As you mentioned, you know he went lights out down in New Orleans, a tough place to play in the regular season, and pulled out a huge victory uh, over the Saints. And so the Saints could have easily been the number one seed going into going into this postseason. Uh, and he's the forgotten man. But and they've got they've got Kittle, and I don't think Kansas City played a team that had uh, a tight end as, if not more effective than their own tight end at any time during the playoffs in the first two games. So you've got some key weapons there. It's going to be if the if San Francisco gets off to a three-score lead, and Kansas City's been down by three scores in both of their postseason games. I think that they've got an offense skilled enough to be balanced or to be able to get take what Kansas City's defense gives them that's going to help keep Kansas City off the field. And if that happens, I don't think that Kansas City, even as high-powered of an offense as they have, will be able to catch them because they're going to be able to, they being the 49ers, are going to be able to stay balanced, be able to take what the defense gives them, and maybe even extend their lead. And let's face it, Kansas City is going up against a pretty damn good defense, and the best part about their defense is they can get to Mahomes with just the front four. They don't have to blitz, so they can keep seven guys back in coverage. They, they have to keep safeties over the top because the speed, they don't have defensive backs that can keep up step for step with their three receivers that are all absolute burners. But they have the ability to collapse the pocket with just four rushers. So it's going to be an interesting game, to say the least. I think it will be high scoring because if, especially if, if Kansas City gets off to a slow start, they're going to be just throwing the ball over the field in the second half. And on the same token, if San Francisco uh, gets off to a slow start, they're going to have to open the open their game plan up and make Garoppolo throw the ball. And he's got the talented receivers enough to make some of those throws. Uh, so it's going to be fun. You know, we talked about the uh, Trubisky Bowl a couple of weeks ago with Deshaun Watson facing off against Mahomes. And here we, we we're in a place where you've got Garoppolo who was with the Patriots at the beginning of 2017. He was traded halfway through the year to San Francisco. And there is a lot of talk out there that San Francisco was actually one of the teams that was trying to trade up to get Trubisky in the 27 draft, which is kind of what forced uh, Pace's hands uh, to to just move up one position because the Bears, and I don't know if it was smoke and mirrors or if it was, uh, you know, the, the sky is falling in, in a chicken little theory that made Trubisky uh, available to the Bears at number two because Pace wanted his guy. and He was going to make sure that nobody else got him before it. We knew Cleveland wasn't going to take Trubisky because they were going to take Miles Garrett. But there was talk about Cleveland trading up to number two with their second and subsequent picks 
to get Trubisky because Trubisky is, is a hometown talent. He's from Ohio. So just imagine how the dominoes would have fallen back in 2017. Did Do we trade for Garoppolo? Do we get Mahomes? Do we get Deshaun Watson with that third pick? Because Cleveland might have ended up with the first two picks, taking Miles Garrett and Mitch Trubisky. But it is what it is. Uh, we have what we have. It's going to be a fun Super Bowl week. If the Bears do anything spectacular or even unspectacular, we'll report about it in next week's episode. But for now, this is Mike Halitek and my partner, Aaron, uh, thanking you for listening into another episode of Halitek Hall. Uh, I will be solo with uh, Halitek Hall next week because Aaron's schedule prohibits him from being uh, being my co-host. So uh, that's going to be a first. We'll see how that pans out next week. So until next week, have a great Super Bowl, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the Super Bowl. 